So reflecting on the Mangala Sutta, verses in the highest blessings. So the Buddha spent uh, most of his time roaming, walking around this area of India called the Middle Middle Land. Uh, And one of the northern parts of the Middle Land was a place called Savati, the kingdom. Savati was the capital of the kingdom. They built a monastery there, uh, which is one of the only monasteries that there were at the time. And uh, it's right outside the capital city, so you can imagine it could have been a quite a busy place in, for a person who lived in the forest. But the Buddha wanted to live there because he wanted to be available for people to come and see him. Mm. Yeah. Well, this is very much the spirit of the uh, uh, summoners, his disciples. They enjoy the forest, the quiet places, but still they want to make themselves available. So they come close to the edge of the city or the village so people can come out. You you come out from the city, then you prepare yourself, you take your shoes off. If you're a king, you take your crown and regalia off. So you put aside your worldly status in order to visit the summoners. Then you come and pay respect. This is just a lovely kind of memory, you know, indication of the proper way to hear Dhamma, you know, the, the forest dwellers who like to be quiet and on their own will make the effort to reach out so far. And the people, busy people, make the effort to reach out. <laughs> they put aside their worldly status and come to visit, you know, the Savati. Uh, so this is where then people felt they could get some good advice how to live their lives. On this occasion, we have this example of the deva. Devas are um, spirit. You know, they can, um, these are energies, if you like. They are fine material. You know, fine material means we have we have fine material. We have devas, which are our fine material aspects. The energy body is a subtle body. It's like a deva. It can be quite bright and luminous. And we have a coarse material body, which is more like an animal. You know, I don't mean animal in a negative way, it just is of that nature. You know, arms, legs, meat, eat, skin, so forth. And you have this deva, the subtle body, which you can brighten up. And the devas are the only, only have their subtle, it's just the subtle body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is a very sensitive creature. This is, we know, our subtle body. You come into that energy, and it's quite luminous and bright, and it gets affected, it could be shocked, and... Uh, it can be uh, beautiful because it, it loves beauty, it loves harmony, it loves truth. When you find that deva in you, it really loves truth and peace. Uh, this is your inner deva. And they say, you know, when you they say when you speak from that, the deva is your speech, is your devata. Right speech is something beautiful, immaterial that you can give to another person. Truth is deathless speech. And so this isn't just about some kind of piece of folklore. Obviously you can interpret it in various ways, but to make use of it, 
you know, we think, oh, maybe there are. Maybe you just don't see them because you don't see your subtle body with your eyes, but you can detect it. Yeah. And so the Buddha is a very powerful, potent, very, very bright and uh, all-encompassing mind. He could detect these uh, spirit forms. Uh, and recognizing this subtle body and your own subtle body, and you, know, you can look at that just very personally, that seeks happiness and peace. It seeks harmony, it seeks contentment, it seeks to be comfortable and unobstructed. Uh, you know, it doesn't seek uh, violence, it seeks peacefulness. Uh, and in this realm, we are, we're often challenged by that. Because there's that in us which seeks that, that gentleness, that tenderness, that you know, sensitivity, and yet we're in a world which is quite brutal and, and, and aggressive and demanding and pressurizing. So this is, how do you, how do you manage to, be, to not just become like an animal, <laughs> like some kind of wild bull or tiger? <laughs> how do you manage to, to, to keep this, this quality present before you become like an animal or you become like a machine? which is often the case now of human beings. We get so kind of machine-like with clocks and computers and time and schedules. We're just, just running like, like machines. How, does that, how do you maintain that, that, that quality living in this world? And so the Buddha's advice is to read directly. You know, you've got to you know, recognize the, this... Uh, you know, the subtle body both needs protection and it needs to be engaged and acted upon and it needs to be fed. We protect it by not associating with foolish, careless, brutal, reckless beings. It doesn't mean you hate them, you just don't want to follow it. A sewana means don't follow. You notice, okay, but you're not following it, yeah. associating with those who are wise, those who, are, who have a full awareness and uh, they're wise, they're receptive. See? So wisdom begins when we have receptivity, we really listen, take in, wisely contemplate. How is this? Yeah, now wisdom here is not about intelligence in the, in the, in the intellectual mode, it's the wisdom, where does suffering end? Where is stress? Where is unskillful? What is skillful? What is unskillful? What is stressful? What is un- not stressful? How does stress and suffering end? What brings it around? That's the wisdom faculty. Necessarily. So you associate with people who have that kind of sensitivity in mind. Sensitive in mind. So then we have that, that sensitive in mind, they're going to be thinking, is this the right time to say something or not? Are these words welcome? Are they gently placed? Are they wise? Are they helpful? Is this action useful or not useful? So they've got that awareness, it's receptive and sensitive. Associate with those people, that's a blessing because you're both uh, feel comfortable, you feel uh, cared for and guided, and also you will see modeling. You'll see behavior that you can 
You know, yeah, that's, he's not, she doesn't do that, but she does that. When that happened, she didn't do that. When that happened, she didn't get angry. <laughs> you know, when somebody stole that away from her, she didn't lament over it. She said, oh, well, that's his, you know, bad karma. Yeah. So they, they stay steady yeah, in themselves. And we notice that really important to associate. And so, you know, we must be really careful and reflective about the use of solitude, solitary practice, which again is something that we we like to do just to return very quietly to the intimacy. But you realize Buddha created a Sangha, which means means a group. And the Sangha is a, a refuge. <laughs> it's not a problem. <laughs> It's supposed to be an advantage. <laughs> and he said even more than that, you have what's called the Great Assembly, which is the, the lay women, the lay men, the female and male summers. So you've got the whole four. He said, this is my life work. Once I've established this, I feel like I've got it. Now you've got something that's going to keep going. Until these four are established, it's not going to keep going. So that means creating, you know, a living community, yeah, who all like some solitude. Yeah, they're not gregarious, but they're not uh, they're not they're not dysfunctional <laughs> sociopaths. <laughs> yeah, they, they can happily share, and, and then you you know because that's the way we learn. We learn from right modelling. You can learn so much from a book, but mostly you learn from other human beings. And if you're not learning from the wise, you're learning from the unwise. <laughs> because <laughs> you're surrounded by other people. So our basic learning comes from our you know, parents, what we felt from them, and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. So you associate, this is kind of wise companionship. It doesn't mean you have to talk all the time. Or, or kind of to parties, it just means you, you're quiet with each other, you're sensitive, you, okay, if something needs to be said, you say it, doesn't need to be said, you don't say it. So you also learn from people's silence. Yeah. Yeah. And that calming effect. How? How is that? Because achitta is, is, achitta is relational. It, does, it, you know, it's not, it doesn't live inside us in some isolated place, it lives in the world of cause and effect, of karma. And that's happening now, that's not just the past, is it? Right now, action and response is happening. That's where it lives, it doesn't live in some remote place in your head. You see, so once you kind of begin to recognize this appearance of sen the sense consciousness which sees distinct forms as separate with, with boundaries around them. And that's there and that's here and that's him and that's there out there. And you put that, rub that out and just think, actually, what do you experience? You experience, whoops, here comes my mother, right into my mind. Oh, yeah. There's my daughter, right into my heart, you know. I'm concerned about my aunt. She's there. <laughs> There's no, you know, as soon as that comes, they're in there, aren't they? Or they're in your chitta. Now you think, oh, I remember that. When that Ajahn came, he said this. 
He said this really interesting thing. I was was very pleased. There he is. (laughs) You know, so that, you know, that, isn't that what happens? So in that that realm of citta, there's no kind of future and past and no sense of separation. The connections are, are cause and effect karma. You understand that, you realize that, you know, friends, relatives, people around you, people you work with, people to associate with, you know, you, you kind of, all that is uh, the field that you cultivate in. It doesn't mean you kind of, you kind of, it means you cultivate, it means some aspects you say, this is time just to be quiet. This is time to offer support. This is time to seek advice. This is time to just let people go their way. You know? So, but you're sensitive to that, and you're noticing whether your heart is moved by irritation or impatience, or judging people, or condemning people, or getting fast, fat, infatuated with people, or fearing people. All this sort of stuff, and you, you've got to work that out. <laughs> yeah, to know well, you know, because you know, not, you know what what really enters you is the way you've responded to that. You know, this is a, you know, the teaching, very simple teaching, if somebody criticizes and blames you, that's not so good. It's much worse if you criticize and blame others. <laughs> because if people criticize and blame you, that's just unpleasant. But it's not unskillful. You, you, you're, you haven't done anything unskillful. <laughs> so it's unpleasant, but then you let that pass, but if you don't so blame and criticize others, then you, you're stuck with that. You've, you've, you've cultivated a sankara that, that then stays, and you've got to try you've got to clean it up <laughs> later on. So, you know, these are the ways in which we recognize you know, <laughs> avoiding unskillful ways, conduct, and so forth, and then finding a time to seek truth that those who can advise you, you know. And also, you know, the willingness to accept one's thoughts. Okay, how do I learn? How do you learn? You don't learn by getting it right. You learn by getting it wrong. <laughs> right? That's how you learn. If you've got it right, you just, you, you, you haven't, there's nothing to learn. You know, you've already got it. Where you learn is by not knowing and maybe getting it wrong or, and then, uh-huh, that's right. Okay, that's that. Why is it wrong? Because it leads to suffering, stress. Understood. Good, okay. Now I know more wiser, clearer. Now I get it right. And the Buddha always recognized if we accept our faults, our shortcomings, this is considered to be the way of growth. He says this is considered growth in this Dhamma and discipline to acknowledge where one has made an error and to be able to correct it. How else are you going to grow? How else can you know? So instead of being fearful and nervous about make sure you get it right all the time, otherwise people are going to slam you and kick you around, <laughs> which, which of course may be the case in worldly ways. If you're associating with the wise, you get it wrong and they go, oh, hey, did you see that? How did that feel? Did you see the results? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 
something, then you get it right. And so also just in your meditation practice, you know, don't be recognizing, it's, this is a very subtle realm, meditation, you know, bhavana. And naturally we're going to kind of keep sliding and slipping and bumping into things and getting stuck in old patterns and habits. Um, and then rather than getting frustrated, try to understand what's wrong with that. Yeah. What's the problem with that? Yeah, so we've got an obsessive thought, thinking about craving something, for example. So what's the problem? What's the problem with craving? Uh, because you can sense when the mind is craving, it's gripped by some object. Yeah? Food, music, pleasure, sex, whatever, it's kind of gripped. And I'm trapped in that. It's got like, so it's like a demon, it's got hold of me. My chitta is trapped, held by that. And a lot of energy is moving around, but it's going nowhere useful. It's just building up this passion. And so we think, okay, now, now you see, then there's no furtherance. We're stuck. And there's no satisfaction in that. There's no sense of that's enough. Craving is never enough. <laughs> a craving. It's a hungry ghost. There's never enough. Yeah. Then you go, right. How do you break the grip of craving? Mm. How do you break out of craving? Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, let's find out. You know, so, okay, let's go to a place that isn't craving. Where's that? My mind is completely absorbed in craving. What about your feet? Huh? Your feet aren't craving, are they? <laughs> No, no, no. Well, how's that? Well, just do it. Go to your feet. Okay. And what about your spine, your back? Is that craving? No, back's not craving. How about your shoulders? Yeah. Yeah. How about uh, an outbreath? Does outbreath crave? Yeah. And what's happening? <laughs> because what's happening is just that shifting of attention, rather than dealing with the problem which we think, I, I've got to try and find my way out of this craving. I'm a craving person, I've got so much craving, I shouldn't be this way, but I am this way, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just obsessive. I mean, then we're actually creating a self around it, making more out of it, and so it just grows and grows. Yeah. And so do you say, well, you do deal with it by not dealing with it. What does this mean? It means you find, first of all, Find a, find a cool place. And this is, of course, where the benefit mindfulness of body. Yeah. So if we find that just that simple structure and the earth element, my first call, the first port of call is the earth element, which means the solid, the firm, soles of the feet, the bones, the back. The Earth element, Earth is, has gravitational force, doesn't it? This planet has gravity to it, so it kind of—it's got a certain pull, yeah, a certain, you know, when you come towards it. Yeah, there's that sense of something inclines towards the solid, the firmness. Yeah, so we come into that. You feel your energy 
gathering into those firm places. Just through the, where your attention goes, your chitta will go. Your chitta and your attention is where the energy goes. Energy goes, where energy goes, your chitta goes, right? But if you place your attention, attention is where your energy will go, right? So you place attention on a, on a desirable object, your energy goes into that, and you think the desirable object has the energy. It doesn't. It's coming out of you, coming out of your chitta. It's bleeding you white. It's sucking, it's like a vampire. <laughs> so you come out of that, put your energy into your, into the, your attention back to the, to the structure, the bones, the feet, the back. First of all, it doesn't seem very powerful, but you just keep holding it there, and gradually it's kind of softer, steadying, firming. And then your energy builds up, it's quiet, it's not inflamed, it's not passionate, it's steady, and your jitta goes towards that because it's cool and comfortable. And when, you, when the jitta longs for peace and security, yeah, that's good. And so what happens? And the, the energy that burnt, went out into craving is captured back into to the coolness and the stability. And then those objects of craving begin to grow less luminous. The demons lose their energy because we've taken it away from them. And then from that cool place you can then look again at that thing you were so excited about and you think, so what? (laughs) Nothing special, just fantasy. Cravings of fantasy. Demons create, wave their hands and create magic. And we, we fall for it. It's a fantasy. That shift, ability to shift your energy through shifting your attention and this mindfulness. That is, mindfulness places lingers on something. So when it lingers, stays, receives drinks in, takes in, and the jitta, the energy builds up, the receptive energy builds up, and the jitta turns towards that. Admittedly, this is not necessarily an immediate thing, but you know, you work like that, you keep doing it again, because you've got to so recognize the jitta is a bit foolish, and it, there's a kind of the fire of passion is a kind of unskillful fire, but it's extremely attractive. Yeah. It's kind of superficial, glittery attraction, but glitter, fireworks, glitter, people like it. Yeah. So again, okay, you think, after you've seen it for a while, you think, ah, oh, this is just all stuff. Yeah. And, you, and you're ready to wake up. You come back to to ground and earth. Mm. Yeah. So this is an example of how we you know we, we seek our security. Mm. Uh. 
so the steadfast in restraint. And so when you realize the security and also the vulnerability of the chitta, the chitta in its untrained way is like a, like a baby with its mouth open. <laughs> just a big mouth with a baby with its mouth open. <laughs> and it just takes any old junk in. <laughs> So restraint, you're learning that mouth, a mouth has to have lips. <laughs> just to, <laughs> that in, or just take a little bit. You know? and so if the mouth has lips on it, then you can moderate, take a drop, a little bit, not much. You know, you have some way of moderating it. That's restraint. It doesn't mean you, you don't have a mouth. <laughs> it means you have a mouth, but you also have some lips that can determine how much to take in and what speed. So that's restraint as, as a wise, as a wisdom faculty. Hmm? Not as just a kind of um, uh, moralizing. Yes, no, it's 40% is enough, 20% is enough, 15% is enough, 80% is enough. How much do I need to see, hear, touch, taste? Just enough. But, yeah, knowing how it can flood. If you, Obviously, you're out there in the world. You can see the amount of promotion, media, everything is advertising, glitter, show, bah, 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 Just to walk down a street, keeping steadfast in restraint, is already major practice and necessary practice. Mm. Mm. Um, so just to, you know, as we're, as this monk, Mangala Sutta covers a lot there in terms of our uh, actions, behavior, I'm just uh, touching into that aspect of it. And I just, kind of, while we're on this meditation session time, yeah, you know, just beginning to build up these guardians, uh, you know, um, and places that the chitta can turn to, to pull out of the pull or the fever or the anguish of sense consciousness. Chitta is sensitive. And we want to keep it sensitive. And there's a, a wonderful piece of advice that the Buddha gave his son. The Buddha had a son. Before he left home, he had a child. And as, after his enlightenment, he thought, I'd better go back, see my family. Because when I left home, I left home because I recognized, here I am, a father. I can't save my son from aging, sickness, death, and suffering. Here I am a husband. I can't save my wife from aging, sickness, death, and suffering. Here I am a son with a father and a mother. I can't save them from aging, sickness, death, and suffering. I better go and find out what's the way out. <laughs> so, went out, did his practice, came and okay, I found it. Let's go home. 
And so he brought it back. Yeah. And his, uh, so his wife, she became a nun. His mother, his mother had passed away, but she became a, a devata and, and so forth. And you know, the father became a stream entrer. So he, 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 you know, he repaid the debt all right. And his son, who was just a little boy, he said to his son, said to to the, to the Buddha, Dad, Daddy, Daddy, give me my inheritance. Daddy, give me my inheritance. And the Buddha said, I've got. You want your inheritance? <laughs> you follow me. <laughs> and so I said, Okay, shave his head. <laughs> give him a bowl. <laughs> okay, son, here's your inheritance. <laughs> You've got to be careful what you ask a Buddha. <laughs> he might just tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, so then the, the Buddha, had his, his chief disciple was Sariputta. So he said to Sariputta, you teach my son because I don't want there to be any favoritism because I'm his dad. So I don't want to be, him to be favored in particular, but you, you, you look after him. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Sariputta is extremely wise, competent, you know, impeccable arahant. Um, became the guide of um, Rahula, Buddha's son. But the Buddha would see Rahula from time to time. And there was a couple of teachings which he gave. And one of them was, he said, Rahula, make your meditation like the earth, Rahula. Make your meditation like water, Rahula. Rahula, make your meditation like fire. Rahula, make your meditation like air. Then because the earth, whoever treads on it, spits on it, walks on it, the earth doesn't care. (laughs) The earth is free from that. Same with water. Anything throws anything into the water, the water is not stained. The water stays as it is. Mm. Throw anything into fire, the fire just burns it up, doesn't reject it. It's not is not obsessed by it, it's not overwhelmed by it. Make your mind make your meditation like this, like these elements. Yeah. So these elements which I've been uh, referring to from time to time. Yeah. Very obviously the Buddha pointed these out, say were earth element is obviously the physical earth. Uh, rocks, mountains, pretty earth, you know, and this very body and its material aspects, bones, hardness, firmness, yeah, you can call all of this, you can call earth, that which is able to hold and resist. Yeah. Yeah. It can resist pressure, it can carry pressure, yeah. and it's got a certain, it covers you know, it covers things and that's it, you know. So it's a, uh, so that's your, as I say, the most, perhaps the basic element we should return to because we go spinning out into cyberspace, <laughs> get back to earth. Water, the water element, everything that's watery, liquid. And so rivers, streams, lakes, obviously rain, and internally, the saliva, fluids of the body. 
what do these do? Water does not hold a sh- it does not hold a boundary. Water dissolves boundaries, doesn't it? If you put something in water, things dissolve. Water will occupy any any shape. It's a cup or a basin or a drum. Water will fill it up. Water doesn't doesn't hold a boundary. It flows. So it tends to create. It tends to dissolve boundaries and dissolve things, so things become harmonious because everything's merged together. It doesn't, it doesn't support differentiation. You can't have red water and black water and green water. They all flow together. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a harmonizer and it's um, uh, fluid. It dissolves things that are tough or hard or gritty or resistance. Uh, it's associated, therefore, with compassion, yeah, kind of a softening, relinquishment of hard views and opinions and fixities. Yeah. Mm. So it's obviously the physical side of it that we have in our bodies. Our bodies work through fluids, dissolve impurities, we excrete them. Yeah. We take air in, it meets the wetness of the body, the wetness, the water in the lungs, the wateriness helps the, the oxygen to be properly uh, assimilated. We're mostly water, this body. A fire element, uh, sun, light, fire. Uh, so fire is with caloricity, the ability to generate heat, uh, uh, temperature. So there can be fire and also coolness when the fire is quiet. So we register things in terms of caloricity and as we know, this is energy, isn't it? Heat is an energy. Light is an energy. So light, heat, energy in fire. And we might say this is the spark. When the sun comes up, spark, fire element. Yeah. And in, in Indian culture, Agni, fire, was the initiator, the god who brought things into life, yeah. into actual animate life. It switches things on. And we have this heat in our bodies. We get excited, we get motivated, we light up. Yeah. So if you're coming from a very reclining meditation, reclining and then okay, going very, very quiet, earth, releasing, relaxing. So now just bring up the idea you can move. Don't do anything, just bring up the idea I can move. Movement. And then decide to move and that spark. Fire. Yeah. Suddenly everything warms up and you start moving. So our bodies also uh, have this uh, fire element in they're warm and they heat and they heat and they and they light. There's luminosities in the body, shining. You know, if you get more uh, attuned, you can see when people are happy, they shine. There's a shining quality to their to their skin. Their eyes shine with happiness. And the air element, that which can direct, you know, it applies to direction, pushes things in a certain way. 
Mm. This is wind. When you look at the leaves, they're being flapped around by the air element. Yeah. Look at the leaves of the trees, you can see the flap, flap, flap. That's the air element moving things around, moves things around in us. Obviously, it's the breath in its physical form, the breath blowing through. And what does it do? It pushes the body open as you breathe in, and then as you breathe out, it releases that pressure, and the air streams out. This is very so. You can, then this kind of these elements then uh, really give us a sense in which this very material form is just one aspect of of the natural universe. Uh, and so we can sort of when we look around, we say there's earth elements, air elements, fire elements, wateriness you know, on the on a material level. And as meditators, you can also begin to. Come contemplate these on the fine level, the material, fine material level. As you sense of a sense of um, um, uh, fire as a kind of joyful, radiant quality in your mind, or bright, bright energy, firmness as a certain sense of resolution and determination and gravity and steadiness. Yeah. Make your meditation like earth, make it steady, make it resolute, make it firm, make it something you can actually, you know, get refuge in. It's not just a thought in your head, there's an energy there that helps to jitter, to steady itself. Make your meditation like water. So what is the water element? It's a sense of buoyancy, uplift, which you can experience. As we cultivate body energy, you experience the in-breath is buoyant, lifting. Lifting. And whenever we come out of any gripping and craving, things dissolve. Suddenly what we grip or crave or get stuck in, there's a release from that and things become fluid again. We're flowing. Yeah. And as you're cultivating walking, walk like water. It's not jumping, it's not strutting, it's not charging, it's not. It's a steady, smooth fluidity. Walk like water. Make your meditation like water. Because then if you do that, uh, it's got, you know, your chitta takes on the same quality. Your chitta becomes fluid, supple, buoyant. Yeah. So from the fine material, you, you come from the fine material, you come to the citta. Yeah. So it kind of, you go from a very coarse material, fine material, you come to citta. Yeah. So the air element, it's breathing obviously, there's also that sense of when we apply a sense of uh, direction, you know, going this way, this way, and it's steady, like a moving like air. Mm. And air travels through fences, it travels through boundaries, it just keeps going. But it's not hard, it just it moves through obstacles. 
And so when we, when we really uh, contemplate breathing, you recognize it's not just stuck inside a few tubes. <laughs> you know, it's not just a lung and nose job. Because if it was, the rest of our body would be deprived of energy. Yeah. So you, you begin to sense the energy of breathing suffuses like air. Yeah. So yeah. you can't, you know, if you're the wind, you may have a central current, but the, the air spreads. So contemplating breathing in the body, obviously is the main channel which you experience a certain definite pressure to it. But as you, particularly as you calm down, get calmer and your body gets more relaxed and open, you can sense the suffusive breathing coming through your skin and through your fingers and around your eyes. It's quiet. And through your belly and even down into your legs and feet, you tingle. Yeah. So that's subtle, that's a fine material air. Any, any doctor will tell you, no, air is just your nose and lungs. But meditators will say, no, 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 I can feel breath suffusing my entire body. And certainly when the Buddha taught Anapanasati, that's exactly what he said. Be sensitive to the entire body, breathing in, breathing out. So, right. So, why bother if the, if the rest of your body is nothing to do with breathing? Why bother? Well, it, because as you, the point is that as you as you con- contemplate and practice refining that fine material quality, the fine material which is the energy of breathing, that knows no boundaries. It knows that it knows, it's like you, you, put, you put a fence in front of wind, wind just travels through it. <laughs> Doesn't even notice it. Yeah. So this, um, in this very body, this energy travels through the tissues, travels into the skin, uh, travels around the eyes. One of the very cryptic, seemingly cryptic remarks the Buddha made about mindfulness of breathing. He says, when I practice mindfulness of breathing, my eyes are not strained. (laughs) Because, as I pointed out, the main channel uh, of the the breath is the eyes sit in the middle of that. Now the eyes don't breathe, do they? Technically, but they're bathed, they're one of the principal organs that's bathed with the energy of breathing. Because yeah. it's streaming right past them. Yeah. Now if the, if the tissues are soft, like water, yeah, they can take that in. Make your meditation like water. Yeah. Then you'll breathe, you'll the energy of the breathing is, is a kind of subtle fire, and the air element is the is the dry, is the pushing of it. It suffuses the entire body. Uh, that's on the fine material level, and as the Buddha remarked, you know, as that that then becomes the your chitta then follows that because your chitta 
follows where the energy goes and it takes on the characteristic of the energy. If the energy is brutal, you get brutal chitta. If the energy is restless, you get restless chitta. If it's jumping around, you get jumpy chitta. If it's stagnant and depressed, you get depressed chitta. And you can think you can think about it all you like, it doesn't change it. You can tell yourself not to be in, it doesn't change it. If you change the energy, the chitta changes. Now how do we change that energy? Through this very body is a, is a transformer. It's a transformer and the principal agent within that is just this breathing in, breathing out. But if we look at it more broadly, it's not just doing anapanasati, it's everything involves body energy. Because the body's energy formations are like fire, like air, like water, and like earth. How is the body's energy like earth? When you say firm, stop, no, this is enough. That's when it's like earth. When's it like water? Yeah. Allow this to be, let this pass through. Yeah. Don't snag, don't hang back, don't get stuck. When's it like fire? Let's brighten up. Let's try again. Just again. Just lift your foot. Just lift your mind. Just lift again. Just this. Just that initiative, that sparking, that lifting. Energy is just that lifting. The next step. The next step. The next step. The next moment. Just brighten up. Puja. Praising. Lifting. Yeah. Yeah. Warming, delighting, gladdening. Yeah. And it's like fire. Bright fire, skillful fire. Keeps us warm, keeps the heart warm. When's it like air? When it penetrates everything, moves through everything. Mm. So we reflect on some of these, what these elements mean. We pick up certain themes. Walk with it. Yeah. Because when you're sensing very directly, walking is takes energy, doesn't it? So is the energy sharp, rough, forceful, slack, dithering? Make it like earth, make it like fire, make it like water, make it like air. So it's flowing along harmoniously. Then your body will be comfortable physically and on the fine material level. And your jitta will settle into that. Where the energy goes, the jitta goes. If the energy is comfortable, fluid, Bright and skillful, the chitta goes there. And this is what we call samadhi. Collected, everything is collected. Everything is gathered together, the chitta is not running out. Doesn't run out because why bother? 
this is you know is satisfied so take some time for your direct practice